We're in James chapter 5 this morning. James chapter 5. I can't remember what level of typhoon condition it was, but during typhoon conditions, probably level 3 and above, while I was in the Navy, I recognized that all of the ships are removed from the dock and they're sent out to sea to ride the storm out. And that way the ships don't bang up against the port and destroy both the ship and the port. And while at sea, you can imagine that they're tossed every which way. I can remember walking on a little destroyer, and they're a lot different than the cruise ships. I, I don't even have a desire to be on a cruise ship because of the Navy. I remember walking on a destroyer, and the next thing you know, I tried to take a step, but it was just almost straight up in the air because of a wave. And then the next thing you know, you're getting turned sideways. You're just tossed to and from every which way. <clears throat> you're really at the mercy of the high seas. In Ephesians 4, um, that comes to mind where it speaks in verse 14 um, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Just prior to that, we find the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God emphasized and then the need to speak the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. It's a journey, a spiritual journey that we're on. And God gifted in Ephesians 4, the context there, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers uh, for the equipping of the, of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The challenge for the church is that not all of them agree. And in our day, it's so easy to, um, to access uh, and, and dial in someone that we agree with, go to YouTube, listen to a message. Um, sometimes we do that just to make us feel a little bit more secure in the things that we believe. James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, opens the door to a topic where the church does not walk in unity, the church at large. Um, and it's on healing. We're still on a spiritual journey, individually as well as the church. And some dig in their heels a little harder than others. Imagine that in the body of Christ. There are good men on both sides of the issue of healing and being raised from sickness, verse 15, that's the phrase that's used. Or being healed, verse 16, the phrase that's used there. And there seem to be violations and extremes on both sides of the issue as well. Chapter 5, verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I often see the church tossed to and fro in this matter of healing like it speaks of in Ephesians 4. And occasionally, but not very often, um, we are asked as elders to anoint one of us in the name of the Lord and offer a prayer of faith. It's very rare. Yet many in the church, and I'm not just speaking about Lone Jack, the church at large, they seem to quickly go to social media asking for prayers of anybody and everybody to be healed, almost ignoring James. 
or just as often some or many seek to line up a significant number of people praying for them in a health matter, almost like the more I have praying, the better chances I have of getting healed. If it were anything else in life, we would call that luck, not prayer. Um, where, whereas James chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, speaks of the prayer of a singular righteous person having great power. So we need to be careful. Let's read our passage. Let me tell you uh, what we can't do this morning, and then we'll talk about what we're going to do. James chapter 5, verse 13. Let's start there. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. We don't have a time to deal with all of the topics around being raised up, like it says in verse 15, or being healed in verse 16. Um, I find it important to note that James chapter 5 is a passage that is not, discuss, that is not discussing spiritual gifts. Um, we won't go into that either today. Um, we won't talk about the signs of an apostle or one who is an apostle from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I find that relevant to the topic of healing at large in a broader sense. Nor are we going to deal with Isaiah chapter 53, the often used phrase, by his stripes we are healed, and we won't go to Mark chapter 16. You say, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to stay in James, uh, kind of. Um, it's so easy, though, when a controversial or a polemic topic is being discussed to just go back and forth and back and forth, being tossed about by the, by the wind like the ship was when I was in the Navy. And it seems like that has resulted in many of the church being tossed to and fro with the wind in especially this, this, this particular uh, issue. What I do want to spend some time talking about this morning is something that James brings up twice in these verses that makes it significant, the real possibility of sickness being the result of sin. And when we think of the context of James, he was writing to the 12 tribes, some or many who named the name of Jesus but didn't demonstrate the fruit of that relationship, the passage seems to fit really well. To the suffering, he says, the instruction is pray. To the cheerful, the instruction is to sing psalms. To the sick, the instruction is to call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And he says more about this than the previous two topics. The previous two topics, it was just do this, do this, do this, do this. But in this one, he gives a little bit more information. The fourth instruction is linked to the third. And then he says, to all, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Our goal this morning is to seek to better understand. We're not going to be able to do an all-inclusive study, but maybe we can better understand the idea of the Scripture of, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven." Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
We looked at anointing last week and various biblical usages of it. Anointing literally means rubbing someone with oil in the name of the Lord. We could rub someone with oil in the name of, I hope you get better, but this is done in the name of the Lord. Um, it literally can mean after having oiled him or them um, to smear with oil. We saw in Exodus 30 a very specific holy anointing oil for the tabernacle and the ark and the utensils and Aaron and his sons. It was forbidden to be used in any other way. We're not doubling up on what that says. We saw kings and prophets being anointed for their service. We highlighted that the Holy Spirit anoints believers. We mentioned Jesus being anointed from on high. We also read about a couple of times when he was anointed during his earthly ministry as well as at his death. We find James giving instruction to those who are sick in the church and to the elders as well. Let me say this, there are groups of people, false religions, who include using oil and potions and rituals as part of their ceremonies. That is not what James is talking about here. Um, was the oil used during J James's day medicinal oil? Most everyone agrees that it was. The prayer of faith on the part of the elders in the name of the sick one was still needed and still offered, and that was what James required as well. As I mentioned, some believers shun or even ignore um, this portion of James's instruction justifying why they do. I have observed over four decades um, what I believe are two other obstacles to heeding James's instruction, both of which I find to be extremes and cause problems and people going to and fro blown, blown about by the wind. One is God always heals anyone who asks in faith, and if he does not, you lack the faith. After all, we have to remember, it's still appointed unto men once to die with all of the implications, and that death is going to, bring, is going to come by some form or another. That's an extreme. God always heals anyone who asks in faith, and if he does not, you lack the faith that was necessary. The other extreme is God no longer heals anybody, so why do we need to read James chapter 5, verse 14 through 18? Now, no one would say, let's just rip James chapter 5, verse 14 through 18 out of our Bibles and throw it away because we fear God too much. But it's kind of how we seem to treat it, or at least some do. In an attempt to merge the two extremes, some say the gift of healing has ceased. Others say it is not. But God is certainly able to heal any time that he chooses. And there's proof texts that are used for that as well. In everything, though, this topic included... We want to be extremely careful as followers of Christ that we don't find ourselves believing and defending a particular group's belief, something very easy to fall into. These are the people I listen to, I align with what they say, and I just adopt their beliefs and I just fall in line and I begin to justify why I believe what they believe when really what I'm doing is echoing what they believe. Maybe I believe it, maybe I don't. Rather, we should continue to grow in our ability to rightly divide the word of truth, seek to adhere to it, even when it means making changes, recognizing that spiritual growth is a journey. And if there isn't any spiritual growth, where is the journey? I read that someone has said, should or when healing happens, it is always God, it's not plants or oils, or even pharmaceuticals, or surgery, it's God. He might choose to use plants, and oils, and pharmaceuticals, and surgery, his choice. God is the one who's responsible for healing. 
when he chooses not to heal us, and I continue this quote, when he chooses not to heal us in this earthly life, as a believer, we'll be headed um, when we pass from this life into eternal life. When that's the case, we should take Paul's perspective, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power rests upon me. That was after he had prayed three times that a thorn in the flesh be removed. The instruction from James is really pretty simple if we look at it and just understand the words, just like the previous two. The first one was, are you troubled? Pray. The second was, are you cheerful? Sing psalms. This one is, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. That's the faith obedience response of the one who is sick. The faith obedience response of the one who is sick is to call for the elders of the church. And we've discussed this uh, many, many times. God functions on a faith economy. He wants us to believe him uh, unto salvation, unto victory over sin, unto forgiveness. Um, This would be the faith response of the one who is sick. We're going to look at an example in a little bit in the Old Testament where Israel was being bitten by snakes, and they had a faith response uh, if they wanted to continue to live, and that was to look upon the bronze serpent. We'll get there in just a bit. So the simple, um, the simple instruction is, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Uh, uh, the elders of the church pray over that one, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And then Scripture, James, uh, being used by the Holy Spirit, brings a sin aspect into the picture. And that shouldn't be, re- that shouldn't be ignored. It isn't just there for um, niceties. Um, it should be considered as well, the sin aspect. He says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That's not always that sickness is a result of sin, but sometimes sickness is a result of sin. And you and I wouldn't know um, when that is and when it's not for other people. And then the uh, instruction is, therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. It is possible that the sick one is so weak to the point of being overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed? I mean, you just get hit so hard with life, whether it's your own physical um, uh, weaknesses or something around you, relationships, people that you love, that is just overwhelming. It's possible that this sick one is to the point of being overwhelmed, um, almost as if they're saying, I don't know what I don't know what to do. I don't know anything to do. And even if I did, I don't have the energy, the spiritual wherewithal to do it. So overcome with sickness So overcome by sin, I don't have the energy to pray. And so I call for the elders of the church, and they anoint me with oil in the name of the Lord, and they pray a prayer of faith for me. It's like what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, rather, where he speaks of upholding the weak. We grab a hold of the weak one, and we hold him up. You remember Aaron and what he did for Moses when he had the staff and raised it? He came alongside of him because he was tired and he just propped up his arm. And that's kind of the idea. Or the picture of the four men who lowered their friend through the roof to get to Jesus. He couldn't do it. He was a paralytic. He didn't have the ability, but his friends took him. And because of their faith, he was healed is what the passage says. Whatever it takes, though, get to Jesus. 
is the, is the emphasis. The text says, if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Or, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. I want us to talk this morning about the sin aspect of being healed when it's necessary. Just in case we don't get back to the passage, though, and I'm guessing that we won't, I want us to recognize that James uses Elijah as an example of effective prayer. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, the ESV. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so he says, pray, and then recognize that when a righteous person prays, it avails much. Doesn't have to be a hundred. You don't have any more chances of God answering the prayer if it's a hundred or two hundred. All you need is a righteous person praying. Sometimes, and this is hard, Sometimes God afflicts disobedience, lack of submission with sickness. Sometimes God afflicts disobedience and lack of submission with sickness. And we're going to look at some examples. And I was reading, I thought about it as I was sitting here this morning. We were reading. I started reading in Hebrews chapter 11 where it speaks of being, it speaks of being disciplined as sons because God loves us. And if we're, not disciplined, if we're not disciplined as sons, maybe it is that we're not sons. It isn't that God doesn't love us. All right? Let's look at some examples of God afflicting disobedience, lack of submission with sickness. The first one that comes to my mind, you'll be very familiar with, is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 says this, He who eats and drinks the Lord's Supper... In an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So there were people in the church in Corinth, and likely around the world all of the times of the, of, of, of the church, who would ob- observe the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, eating and drinking judgment to themselves, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, he says, many, not a few, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. One of the reasons that there was sickness in the church of Corinth, and uh, there, there was weakness and sickness and even death, was because they observed the Lord's Supper in a haphazard manner. They didn't consider the body and the blood of Jesus. It's just, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just going to come in. I'll take it. No big deal. And as a result of it, some of them were sick, some of them were weak, and many slept. Why? Because those who eat this bread or drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And it's a big deal to God. When we observe the Lord's Supper, it's time to stop, search your heart, ask God to search your heart, make sure you're in a proper relationship with the Lord, and then observe the Lord's Supper in a, in a, in a worthy manner, in a manner that's worthy of our Lord. In a similar manner, listen to what 1 John chapter 5 says. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death... He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 16. I do not say that he should pray about that. So if you get mad at somebody and you're seeing them sin and you really don't want them to walk on the face of the earth, you're not supposed to ask the Lord to take their life. Okay, That's kind of what he's saying. Um, but there is sin leading to death. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. In the 43 years that I've walked with the Lord, I have seen people die, a lot of people die, and, and I 
never would be able to know because I can't tell what's in someone's heart. God obviously can. But there have been times when I have wondered, I wonder if that person sinned unto death. Not mine to call, that's God's, I acknowledge that, but there is sin that leads to death. I would like to suggest that a good first response to sickness, like James is speaking of in chapter 5, verse 14, is that we should, a good first response to sickness should be, God, what are you wanting to tell me? When I'm sick, when I get the news of, I'm gonna ha- I had a heart attack, when I had a, st- whatever it might be, God, what is it that you have for me? But let's be honest. What is the first response that we ask people to do? We don't think about, God, what do you have to say for me or to say to me? It's just, God, heal me. Just take this away. I don't want it. It's inconvenient. Just take it away. Never even considering what God might want to teach me. Just free me from the pain and the inconvenience. This isn't what I wanted in life. Psalm 32 says this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, David writing. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, David says, I inserted about my sin because that's the context. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. So when he kept his sin inside and maybe continued with it and didn't deal with it appropriately, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him like it was drought of summer. My lack of spiritual vitality, like David's, will affect me physically, as will yours. He confessed in verse 5 through 7. We're not going to read it. Listen to what God had to say to him in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they would not come near you. Do I have to do this, Jerry, to draw you to me, this sin and then this sickness? in order to get you to call upon my name. And he says in Psalm uh, 32, don't be like that. Don't do, like, don't do that. We're, we're above the horse and the mule. The first response, my first prayer ought to be, God, do you have something to teach me? Not God, take away this affliction from me. A- and maybe we need to pray today that when I am sick, God, would you remind me that my first response should be, God, give me ears to hear you. What is it that you have that you want to teach me? If that's the case, not all sickness is the result of sin. And James makes that clear as well. It is appointed unto man once to die. Something is going to take us, and it doesn't mean that we sin. Um, and so we have to have some discernment in the midst of that. My first response should be, God, do you have something to teach me? Not, God, take this away from me not even giving ear to him if he has something to teach me. I'm in Numbers chapter 21. If you want to go there, I'm going to read a few verses. Israel is sinning. Many are dying. Israel has, just a little bit of context, Israel has left Egypt. Aaron has already died. Moses is still alive. And it says in verse 4, Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, 
Then they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt, where they were probably whining and complaining as well, to die in the wilderness? There is no food, no water, listen to this, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. God, the bread that you're giving us in the morning and in the evening, excuse me, just really sucks. We don't like it. We hate it. Our soul loathes what you're giving us. That's pretty strong. So the Lord sent fiery serpents, and many believed that they were Egyptian cobras. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many, not a few, many of the people died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned, we've spoken against the Lord, against you, pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who's bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, so it was if a, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. It wasn't that they wouldn't be bitten. They continued to be bitten. Their faith response was to look at the, at the, at the serpent that was on the pole in order to be freed from the, from the death that that snake would give. The, they were bitten. Their faith response was to look to the serpent in the pole. Roughly 775 years later, that's just a rough number, between the exodus from Egypt and Hezekiah, that bronze serpent is still around, almost 800 years. Second Kings 18 says this, He, Hezekiah, removed the high... He was a good king. His dad was wicked. His son was wicked. Hezekiah was a good king. He removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images, broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. So almost 800 years later, this bronze serpent is still around. But you know what they're doing now? Instead of looking to it when they're bitten by a, by a cobra, they're worshiping it. They're, they're burning incense to it. And so he um, destroyed that bronze serpent. They started worshiping the thing. In time, they went right back to not honoring God. Another example of God afflicting his disobedient wayward children. We don't have time to read it all, but I want to recommend that you maybe just turn, full, turn a few pages in your Bible so you'll remember to read it this week. Is Ezekiel chapter 4. We're not going to read the whole thing. But another example of God afflicting his disobedient wayward children is found in Ezekiel chapter 4. God required of Ezekiel some really strange activity. And one of the things that he told Ezekiel to do in chapter 4 was lay on your side for the sins of Israel one day for each year that they have sinned against me. And he had to lay there 390 days. And then he told him to flip over and lay on his other side for the sins that Judah had committed against him one, uh, against him one, year, uh, one day for every year. And he had to lay for another 40 days. But this is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 16. Moreover, he, God, said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight, which means it was rationed. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety. They shall drink water by measure. It also was rationed and with dread. They shall lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another and waste away because of their iniquity. 
because they had sinned against God, and he said it's a big deal, and they didn't just, and, and didn't just treat it as I'm a kind, loving, grace-filled God, and he is. He treated it, he treated it in this way, and he said that they would waste away because of their iniquity. Just a few other smaller passages, some examples. Psalm 107, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men. Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near the gates of death. And so when all of this food is lacking and the water is lacking, one of the first things that happen is men become sick. And if we could learn what Israel in, in their good times learned is go to the Lord and say, we've sinned against you, would you cleanse us? That would be good. But some of us don't even give thought to that. I'll go to the doctor, I'll have surgery, I'll take whatever drugs it is that I'm supposed to take, I'll ask 200 people to pray for me, but to turn to the Lord and say, God, what do you have to teach me might not even be in my thoughts. Hosea 7, when I would have healed Israel, he says, then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered, and the wickedness of Samaria, so they were wicked. Micah chapter 9, the Lord's voice cries through the city, Wisdom shall see your name. Shall I count those pure with wicked, with wicked scales and with the bags of deceitful weights? For her rich men are full of violence. Her inhabitants have spoken lies. Sounds like James chapter 5, the opening verses about the rich mistreating the poor. For her rich men are full of violence, her inhabitants have spoken lies, their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away but, uh, but shall not save them. And what you do rescue I will, I will give over to the sword. Listen to what it says early in Moses' writings in Deuteronomy and then compare it with what's said a little bit later on, quite later on actually. Deuteronomy 7, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall, be a male, there shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. The Lord will take away all your sicknesses, will afflict you with none of these terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known, but will lay on them. Uh, but will lay them on those who hate you. That's Deuteronomy chapter 7. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in the book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome God, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness of every plague which is not written in the book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed." So there's a strong word about God um, dealing with sin in the lives of those who name his name. And I can't help but wonder if James, because he's writing to these 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, many who name the name of Christ but don't have the fruit of what should be there for a follower of Jesus Christ, if he's warning them that, hey, some of this sickness that's going on is because of sin. If, you've, if you do this, when you're sick, call for the elders of the church, let them anoint you in the name of the Lord, their prayer of faith, you'll be healed, you'll be raised up. If you've sinned, it'll be forgiven. And then another exhortation um, to confess your faults one to another that we may be healed seems like James is paralleling the message there. Second Chronicles, this is, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Part of this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It has been for over four decades. Second Chronicles chapter 16, King Asa is the king of Judah. And he, was, and he didn't look to the Lord. 
And God, as a result of it, said to him, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you, King Asa, have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on you shall have wars. He reigned 39 years. Listen to this. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his sickness was severe. Yet in his disease he didn't seek the Lord, but he sought physicians. Almost what we do. I've got a cough. I'm not feeling very, I'm going to go to the doctor. It isn't God, what is it that you have to teach me? What is it that you want to tell me? My ears are open to you, but I'm going to run to the professional before I run to my spiritual God, the one who's my father, the lover of my soul. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I go to the doctor. If I get a prescription, I actually take the prescription. I know people who talk themselves out of taking the prescription on the way home from the doctor. I take the prescription. It isn't isn't a don't go to the doctor, but go to God. Go to God first and say, God, give me ears to hear what it is that you have for for me to hear. Asa said, I'm not going to go to the Lord. I'm not going to seek him. For him, there was a twist of rebellion. That might not be the case for us. We just don't even think about it, about going to God. So maybe our prayer should be, not God, what do you have to teach me? But God, the next time I encounter some affliction, give me ears to ask. Give me the reminder to say, God, what is it that you have for me? And then give me ears to hear that. Ask God to bring that to our minds. God, what do you want to teach me? Jesus was asked, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And he said, neither he nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. James makes it clear that not all sickness is a result of sin. He says, and if they have sinned, it will be forgiven. And if there hasn't been, you don't need to worry about it. We don't need to create it and be anxious about it and create something in our mind and and tell the Holy Spirit how we should be convicted. We just lay ourselves before the Lord. God, is there anything that you have to tell me? Is there something I need to repent from? And if there is, give me the grace to be able to do so as well. In many spiritual dynamics, and this is true with healing also, it seems like sometimes we're looking for a mathematical equation a spiritual equation, if you will, to cling to, when what God wants is for us to cling to Him. And it might be that He allows something to come into my life because He wants my attention, and He knows that I'm going to cry out to Him. I'm going to get to the place of desperation, and once again, just like Israel, I'm going to cry out to the Lord. He wants me clinging to Him. He doesn't want me clinging to the physician or clinging to the healing. He wants me clinging to him. And so if he allows something to come into our lives, let's cry out to him and cling to him. Back in James, it says, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. It's the responsibility, the faith transaction act of the one that's sick to call for the elders of the church. It isn't mine or the other elders of our church church's responsibility to come to you and say, hey, you're not feeling well? Hey, do you, I heard you had a significant issue health-wise, and I don't think it's for every cold that you do this, but I heard that you have something significant going on health-wise. Can we anoint you with oil? That's not our job. Ours is to respond once you've responded in obedience to the Lord. 
It's the faith response that he's looking to, uh, looking for from you. And then the and then the elders have the responsibility of praying over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. A few years ago, I don't even remember when, we put a jar of anointing oil on the table here, the Lord's Supper table. I have smaller vials of oil as well, and the elders are prepared and ready to, um, to go to someone's house. But it's not our job to call upon you. It's the responsibility of the sick one to call upon the elders of the church. And then we enact what God has tasked us to do as well. And if that person has sinned, um, the, the sins will be forgiven. And it could be that there's healing. I'm not saying that there's mathematical precision. Um, God is the one who's ultimately the healer. What I do know is when someone dies, and we all will, ultimately they're going to step from life into eternal life, and they're going to be healed at that instance as well. And so it's our responsibility to pray for that one. Let me close with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, where it says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and make your... And make your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. When James deals with, is any of you sick? The Spirit of God caused him twice to speak about the possibility of sickness being the result of sin. It seems wise and spiritually um, profitable that we would ask the Lord, God, is there anything that needs to be repented of? What is it that you have to teach me at this particular time? Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for James and all that he's taught us, and specifically in this uh, controversial arena where the church, your church, doesn't seem to walk in unity. So we want to seek to understand it a little bit better, at least this aspect of it. And we ask that you would give us minds and hearts that are open to receiving your word. And Father, I pray for myself and for those that are here listening as well, that the next time we have sickness, significant illness, whatever it might be, that our first thought would be, what does God want to teach me? And Lord, if it's not, and sometimes it's not, would you bring that to our mind so that we can respond in that way and then listen to you so that we can ha hear what it is that you have to say to us? And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.